Right, Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. Um, I'm going to read the first three verses. And it, I put up there six. It's not, it's four. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You'll forgive me saying this, but some of you here, in fact, although you may not know it, all of you, and myself included, come from dysfunctional families. We live in dysfunctional communities. And dysfunctional is kind of the trendy way, I think, of saying there's a lack of harmony in our families and a lack of harmony in our culture, in our society, in our housing estates. Stevie Wonder, I think it was, and Paul McCartney. Ebony and Ivory live together in perfect harmony. I was going to get Chris to play on the piano and do a duet with Steve, but I, I didn't think they'd quite go for it. Side by side on my piano keyboard, oh Lord, why don't we? We all know that people are the same wherever we go. There's good and bad in everyone. We learn to live. We learn to give. We learn What we need is to survive together alive. Um, it's actually garbage, really. Uh, tune and words, but... That did go round in my head, ebony and ivory living together in perfect harmony. Where do we get that from? How do we have harmony in our lives? How do we have peace? Well, I want to argue that it's in the church. The church, well, it's through Jesus Christ, and the church is the advert for Jesus Christ. Now, what a good advert does is it makes you want something that you did not know that you needed. And yet, if I say the church is the advert for Jesus Christ, there are some of you here, and I mean Christians, who will say, you, you, you're joking, right? You're kidding. Because you've been wounded, and you've been battered, and you've been bruised, and as a result, you still believe in God, you still believe in Jesus, but boy, are you cynical. And boy, are you hurt, and boy, is no, no one's ever going to touch you again. You're like the teenage boy who's first fallen in love, and everything is sky is bluer, grass is greener, and then the girl goes and breaks your heart, because that's what girls do, and then that's it. You'll never trust a woman again. And you know, you just continue like that, maybe throughout your life. And there are people like that within the Christian church, and I, I, I'm, I'm not mocking this at all. I'm empathizing with it. Uh, believe it or not, this is actually empathy. I, 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 I completely understand why people feel really hurt and disconcerted about the church. How can the church be the advert for Jesus Christ? Harmony and peace within the church. Really, you've been at church meetings. You've listened to the gossip. You've heard what goes on gossip-wise, even in terms of prayer. You've seen the legalism. You've seen the, seen the Phariseeism. You've seen the power games and everything else. How can it be? Well, in these verses that we're looking at, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, Paul begins to deal with that. You'll notice at the beginning, verse 1, there is a, a then. Then of verse 1. This is the context of living out the gospel. Everything that goes in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians is based on chapters 1, 2, and 3. And chapters 1, 2, and 3 are telling us that Jesus came to bring harmony in the universe. That Jesus came to save the world and, 
the universe from the consequences of our sinfulness. What we're looking at this morning, the first three verses are an appeal for harmony or unity within the church, and the second three are an appeal for unity based upon the Trinity. Now, Paul demonstrates the importance of this by indicating who he is. He says, I am a prisoner for the Lord. And he's a prisoner for the Lord precisely because of this unity. In other words, he considered the unity of the church, the harmony of the church, to be so important that he was prepared to go to jail for it. It could mean as well, by the way, when it says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, it could mean not just that he's in chains, but that he's a prisoner of Christ's love. That there are, if you like, the chains of state, and that there are the chains of the love of Jesus Christ, and he's compelled to do that. But we are urged to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And in chapter 3, right through into chapter 5, verse 17, Paul gives us two things that are to be true of us as believers. We are to be one people, and we are to be a holy people. We are to be different from the secular world. We are, or we should be, the real radicals. I watched a program last night, and there's all these programs on just now on, like BBC Three, BBC Four, for all you trendy people. And it was about, uh, it was entitled The Punk Years, 1976 to 1978. The Pistols and the Damned and the Clash and the Jam and so on. And there are certain people of a certain age, certain genre, and you're nodding your head and you've still got the t-shirts. Because you were like mega cool then. You weren't into the Bee Gees and Rod Stewart and so on. You were into, you know, real radical music. And I watched that program and it, it just struck me how the program itself presented the punk movement. It presented Britain of the 1970s as being a very conservative society. And then along came these radicals and they changed society by doing what? Well, with the exception of the jam, and maybe Sham 69 and a few others, uh, not really by playing too much music, but by, and this, the program had this as the key event, swearing on television. This was the big thing. This was the radical thing. This was the, the thing that was going to change society. Now, I have a fair amount of sympathy and had a fair amount of sympathy at the idea of, of rebelling and, and rejecting the values of our culture and trying to change things. But actually, this radicalism wasn't radical at all. It tinkered on the edges. You know, was it really radical to start wearing bin liners, put on black lipstick and eyeliner, spitting on people to express appreciation? That one didn't last too long. Is that really radical, swearing out loud on national television? In fact, looking back, looking over that, you realize how all incredibly immature, trivial, and ultimately actually extremely conservative it is. Today, if you read uh, the newspaper, The Scotsman on Sunday, I haven't read it yet, but I've seen the, the uh, uh, editorial, and it basically says, we've got to be progressive and radical. And then it espouses a whole set of values that are not progressive and radical at all. In the words of the who, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. But here in the Bible, we're taught about something that is really radical and is really different. And that is to be the church. And we are to be united and we are to be pure. Now, we'll look at the, the purity and so on. In fact, uh, this evening, we're going to 
look at some of that and then uh, a week on Sunday in the evening we'll, we'll look at more of that. But let me just deal with this one. We are called to share in Christ's rule over the new creation. Chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verses 19 to 22 emphasize the same thing. First Thessalonians, oops, can you move on please, Louise, I think, I don't know what's happened there. First Thessalonians 2.11, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Colossians 1.10, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Ephesians 1 to 3 has been saying, this is who God is. This is what Jesus has done. He, it is wonderful. It is astonishing. It is incredible. And you've been called to follow him. Now live a life which is worthy of this great God. You get these books about people in the highlands, uh, usually men, who've been notable Christians, and they're called the worthies. So the worthies of Caithness, or the Sutherland worthies, or the Rosshire worthies. And it really is actually drawn from this idea. But all of us are to be worthy in that sense. We are to be worthy of following Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be not Christians, and you're th this is kind of like way over your head at some point, or underneath your feet. Uh, you don't think it's worthy of you. But I, I want to show you why it is just such a wonderful thing to be a Christian. And some of us are Christians, and as I said, we're very cynical and kind of given up, to be honest. We've given up. Well, if we make it to heaven, then, yeah, heaven will be cool and it'll be great, but meanwhile on earth, I'm just trying to survive. But I think Paul understands all that, and he gives us something that's very real and very practical. It's not a call to triumphalism. Saying that Jesus is king, saying that Jesus is the great one, and saying we follow him. It's not a call to us being really triumphalist. It's not a call to arrogance. And nor does Paul begin with structures and strategy plans. He begins with personal qualities which we collectively are to have as a group of people. Not just individually, but collectively. And we are to live a lifestyle that demonstrates and promotes and shows the unity that Jesus Christ brings. Now you'll note in the text, it doesn't say this is how you get unity. It says this is how you've got unity and how you maintain it. And that lifestyle, he lists three things. Number one is be completely humble and gentle. And every time I read that, I go, ouch. And I could do a wee survey, a wee poll of you all just now and say, how many of you here are completely humble and gentle? And by the very fact of raising your hand and indicating that you are, you're not. Completely humble and gentle. There's a command in the Bible. Be completely humble and gentle. You could read my latest book on humility to find out how to do it. But that's not how it works. Now what's interesting about this is that the, and I'm so glad the Greeks have gone home, because they would immediately go at me. But the Greek word for lowliness, which is, or, or humility that's used here, is a word that in, in ordinary Greek is always negative. It is always a bad thing. It is the crouching submissiveness of a slave. But here, 
Christians do what Christians have done at their best throughout the centuries, taken the language of the street and turned it into something good. And here, it's a lowliness of mind. Now, you have to be really careful here because there are some of you who think you have a lowliness of mind because you think that you're rubbish, because you have a very low opinion of yourself, because you think that you are um, not worth anything. Maybe that's been beaten into you. Maybe that's just how you feel about yourself. That is not what's been spoken of here. I'll tell you what lowliness of mind is here. It's not about beating yourself up. It's about recognizing the value and worth of other people. We've been making quite a few jokes this weekend about characteristics of people. You know, the Germans are hardworking and always get to the beach first with the towels, you know, and uh, the Greeks are lazy and uh, always arguing about philosophy and... I won't say anything about the French, because Alex still here, and the Scots and the English and so on. What I think a characteristic of the Scots is, we know that we're rubbish, but our only comfort is everyone else is rubbish as well. That's a very Scottish attitude. That's not what's been spoken of here. What's been spoken of here is how we view other people. A genuinely humble person values and gives worth to other people. Who are the people you like? They're the people who respect you. They're the people who treat you with respect. And that's what we're being told to do. Aristotle spoke about gentleness or meekness as being the mean of being too angry and never being angry at all. What is being spoken of here is a strong personality who's self-controlled and who serves others. Someone who's not continually asserting personal rights. Be completely humble and gentle. Know who you are. Be confident in who you are in Christ. And value other people. Stop talking down people. Stop saying everything's garbage. Stop complaining about everything and everyone. Even yourself. That's not what it's about. Being completely humble and gentle and bringing harmony is, of course you recognize people's sin and they do really horrible things, as you do. But you see their worth as Christ sees them. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Just great. I think that's a great description. I love the, the Bible's so realistic. You know, we're so triumphalist and we're going to be, the church is this and we're marching on to victory in this and we're doing this. And Paul says, I just want you to be able to put up with each other. It's a pretty good ambition because there are Christians today who are sitting at home because they can't put up with other Christians. There are Christians today who are fighting mad. You might even be sitting here just now and and right now everything's spoiled for you because that brother or sister really irritates you. You know, you've heard that child crying in the back and you're going, oh, or, or, you know, someone's not dressed the proper way or, or someone didn't just, you know, Gave you Snyders as you walked in, as far as you were concerned. And that's just mucked it up everything for you. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Patience is shown towards annoying people. I still love that t-shirt. Please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. And, and here's why. Because Christ was patient with us and we've to be patient with one another. There has to be mutual tolerance. I hate it when I hear Christians go, oh, I'm all against this tolerance stuff. Why? That's what we're supposed to be about. The world has taken God's word, if you like, tolerance, and turned it into something ugly. We claim it back. We should be about mutual tolerance, without which no group can be together. We had a Kirk session on Tuesday. Let me tell you the mark of a very unhealthy Kirk session. 
where everyone agrees about everything. That's just completely fake and wrong. Let me tell you the mark of a very healthy Kirk session. It is when a group of elders argue with one another and don't take it personally. It's like a marriage, isn't it? Or a relationship. Naomi and Callum are getting married. Uh, I'm not giving away any secrets because I haven't actually asked them this. Oh, maybe I have asked them actually. I forgot the answer. Um, but, you know, when a couple come and ask about marriage, I always say, have you ever had a fight with one another? And if they go, oh no, we wouldn't do that. We love one another. I'm saying, you're not ready for marriage yet then. Because when you're close to people, you rub each other up the wrong way and of course you fight, of course you disagree. And in the Christian church that happens as well. But tolerance is when we, we respect and put up with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. We tend to associate humility, gentleness, and patience with passivity, quietism, and a wait-and-see attitude. Oh, I'm very humble. I do nothing. That is not humility. I'm very gentle in my speech because I say nothing. That's not gentleness. What is said here is, take the initiative. It's not sit and wait for it to happen to you. It's not... One day I will be gentle. One day I will be patient. It's saying, maintain and keep what you already have, what you've been given through Jesus Christ. You don't have the attitudes, in other words. Well, she started it. You don't bear grudges. And I I do. I want you to stop and think for a moment. Are there any grudges that you're carrying that you are bearing right now? Something that happened. I thought for a minute that that was Gareth raising his hand to say yes, but it wasn't. He was raising his child. (laughs) But just think about it. Think about the, you know, that person who you've never really spoken to properly ever since the day they said something hurtful about you. And that day might have been 20 years ago, but the fruit of that is still there within you. Imagine if Jesus treated you like you're treating them. Someone once said a bad word about you. Someone once let you down. Someone once hurt you. You remember that. But do you remember the kind words they said? Do you remember the times they helped? Do you remember the times they showed love? Be patient. Bear with one another. This peace can be lost through arrogance, lies, pride, and selfish assertiveness. Through abrasive, combative, rude, and insensitive behavior. It's the works of the flesh. And the world looks at the church and says, your words are great, your words are fantastic, but we think they're a fable and a delusion because we don't see they work amongst you. We're going to sing just now um, a song before I do my final point. It's not going to be a second sermon, but uh, there's one other thing I want to say, but I want to sing this first. It's from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. Um, It's a a new paraphrase of it that's come from uh, the Free Church Assembly, actually, and I really, really liked it. And I was going to quote Philippians 2, but I thought it was better to sing it, where we're being told to adopt the attitude of Christ, who, though in nature God, refused to keep his rightful state as equal with the Lord. We'll stand and sing. The tune is Salzburg, and Stephen and Chris are going to lead us in that. Let's stand and sing. Now, we come on just to finish with the the last three verses. And, oops, I've got them wrong. There we are. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all.
So I'm going to do the Trinity in three minutes. And this is how it works. Well, it won't be three minutes, but close. What do you think God gives us doctrine for? Teaching. It's not so that we can speculate, oh, I don't understand the Trinity. Of course you don't understand the Trinity. If you understood the Trinity, you would be God. You don't understand the Trinity. So what's the point of it? We are taught about God so that we may know him, not so that we may sit in judgment upon him, but so that we may reflect him. And here is unity in terms of the Trinity. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit, yet one God. It is a mystery, but it is wonderful, because that's how you get God is love from. You can't have love unless you've got someone to love. Well, who did God love before he created the world? Well, God loved himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lived in a community of love. And that is reflected here in what Paul says in Ephesians. He says there's one body. Ephesians 2, 14 to 17 talks about that. That one body is visible. There's one body because there's one spirit. The spirit is invisible. He works within us. There's one hope, and that hope is the future. When the Holy Spirit is at work within a congregation and in a fellowship and in a community and in a country... It brings unity. You love people as Christians who, to be honest, you would never really love. You'd never like them, even. In fact, isn't it funny how God brings into the church people, the very people who you precisely would not like? It really is quite funny. You think, oh, I'm not into those sort of people. And you find yourself in with those sort of people. And that's the way that it is. You don't pick and choose. That's one of the things that's wrong with the church, is when we pick and choose who we're going to have, according to social class, or, or race, or color, or whatever. I thought it was great yesterday, even that small group that we had looking at the, um, how we reached Europe for Christ. And I'm, I'm counting Will as a German. But Germans, and Greeks, and Ukrainians, and French, and Scots, and English. Does it matter what race we are in the body of Christ? No, it does not matter. It really doesn't matter. There's one body. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And what Paul is speaking of here is unity within churches and unity between churches. I'll tell you this. We can forget any sense of God blessing us as a church if we are disunited. What excludes you from the communion? If you are a believer in Jesus, there's only one thing that excludes you from the communion. It's if you do not recognize the body and blood of the Lord. And that's not just saying you do not recognize the cross and a resurrection. It's you do not recognize your fellow Christian brothers and sisters. You will kill this church. Far worse than by false doctrine almost, because this is false doctrine, it's false practice. You will kill this church. If you bear grudges and hate people and, you just, and, and resent people and dislike people and foster disunity and if there are cliques and so on. If you see a clique in the church, come up to me and say, oh, David, there's a clique. And then I will say to you, right, go and break it up. Because that's what you have to do. And how do you break it up? You break it up by going loving them and by talking to them and by saying, can I join your gang, please? And helping them to see that they shouldn't really have a gang. We got over that when we were in primary school. We don't do that in the church. We need each other. But there should also be unity between churches. I believe this. I believe that you can no more multiply churches than you can multiply God. 
I think denominationalism is absurd, and I think Christians being divided in this city is absolutely absurd. We need to demonstrate real Christian unity, not the false type which is not based on Christ. Real Christian unity is a Trinitarian unity. It's on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry, but if there's a church where the minister says the resurrection was a conjuring trick with bones, where the minister says the Holy Spirit's just a force, not God, where the minister says that God is not sovereign, does not know everything, that's not a Christian church. The Westminster Confession puts it beautifully. It says it's a synagogue of Satan. And I'm not being jointly with that at all. I'm not going into that in any sense. Same with uh, in terms of other faiths. I, just, I got an, an application form for a job in Edinburgh. I don't know why it was sent to me. To be the leader of the interfaith network in Edinburgh. Nice money, 30, 30 grand a year. I think I'd last 30 seconds. And it's, I mean, what, what is that about? It's not that you don't respect other people. We've just said you have to respect other people. But you can have unity as a Christian with people who are not Christians. It's like a no-brainer. It's like a three-year-old can understand that, and yet so many theologians don't seem to be able to grasp it. And you can't have unity with people who claim to be Christians but deny God's word. How can you have that? But we should have unity between those who believe. I'll, I'll throw this out as a question because I don't have time to go into it. I've got my own thoughts on it, but you're not here to hear my thoughts. How is it that in Scotland, particularly amongst Presbyterians, Pentecostals as well and Charismatics, whenever we split away from a church, which is sometimes something you have to do, what happens? Do we go and join with other believers who are already there? No, we don't. We set up yet another church. I was in a village, Brora, where there were basically two churches. And the last time I was back there, there was five, maybe six. Why? More Christians? Revival? No. Christians falling out with one another, splitting off, whatever. There's something wrong. We need to exemplify Christian unity. Um, I think a small example, let me give you a small practical example. We are, over the summer months, we're going to share together with Logie and St. John's Cross Church in our evening services for six weeks. Is this compromise? Is this weakening? No, it's not. It's identifying. It's absolutely ludicrous that um, Central Baptist and ourselves and, uh, you know, other churches who believe in Jesus, who believe that the Bible is the Word of God, who are committed to, to that, that... We preserve denominational distinctives in the name of unity and Christian purity. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't care what background you are from, from a Christian perspective. If you love Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, you are very welcome in this church. And also, by the way, I think you're very welcome to be in another local fellowship of God's people, providing you don't have the attitude, we're the real church, they're not. Because that's a real sin. How can we get this unity? How do we get this unity in the church? How do we get this unity between churches? Well, as I say, if you want part two, come back this evening. And you can find out. But I'll leave you with this. That verse at the end. One God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. Another threefold Trinitarian formula. 
God is over everything. God permeates all things. God is in all things. It is not saying that he is all things. This is not pantheism, the view that God is everything. But it is saying this, that God is transcendent. He's beyond everything that you and I think or understand or can even grasp. He's beyond that. He's also pervasive. He's through all. He's everywhere and in everything. There isn't a single circumstance in your life that God is not there. And he's in all. He's imminent. He's here. He's present. I think that Paul's speaking here in this, in this verse, especially of the church. He's saying God is over the church. God is through the church. God is in the church. It's not an irreverent phrase, but I love it. God is in the house. That's what's being said. God is present. God is here. And I want you to grasp hold of that and to understand what it means. You want God to be in your house? You want harmony in your house? You need God in your house. You want harmony in your life? You need God in your life. You want harmony in this church? We need God in this church. And you know what? That's what you want. That's what he wants. Look at it. That is what he wants. And he wants us to show this. Stop shutting God out. Stop thinking you are in control. Stop trying to deal with your own bitternesses and hurts and sorrows and pains and angers and everything else. Stop loading up worry upon worry upon your, old, your own shoulders. God is in the house. God is present. God has come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we drink from that fountain. And we luxurate in that well of life. And we rejoice in what he has given us. We are one because he is one. We are diverse because he is diverse. We can uh, just live in Jesus, live in the Spirit, live in the Father in love and joy and peace. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bless you that although we cannot understand who you are, yet you reveal yourself to us, and you do so because you love us, and you do so not because you are subjecting yourself to be tested by us, but because you are communicating yourself to us that we might know you, and in knowing you that we might know one another. Forgive us, O Lord, for our pride and our self-assertiveness, and our arrogance, and our over-worrying, and all the things that cause so much harm, our disunity, the disharmony in our homes and our lives. And grant us harmony that comes from, first of all, being based upon you. May we truly love one another. Lord, we forgive here and now. We forgive everyone who has hurt us or wounded us, and we plead with you that you would forgive us for the way that we have hurt and wounded other people. For in doing that to them, that is bad enough, but it is what we have done to you through that that is so much infinitely worse. And yet you are a God of grace and mercy and a God of forgiveness. How wonderful that you are over all and through all and in all. Lord, help us to maintain and to acknowledge that and to live humbly and gently and patiently and bearing with one another in great love, 
Enable us to do that. And any of us who don't yet know you, may we bow the knee before you as as we were singing, acknowledge Jesus as Lord and come into that glorious living relationship with him. Lord, renew us. You are doing a work in this place. Pour out your spirit upon us and enable us to worship you together with all the people of God, wherever they are, in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org Thanks for listening.